I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, a very complex uh, subject, modern player development. Um, yeah, I'm coaching since the last eight years. Before I was coaching Stan, I was also coaching uh, Robin Söderling. Uh, he made it to number four in the world, and the last four years I'm, I'm coaching Stan Wawrinka. And as Valentin mentioned, I'm also uh, running uh, since 2010 the Good to Great Tennis Academy in Stockholm, uh, which is an academy um, focusing on kids uh, or youth from 11 years old until maybe 18 years old. So I'm also working with kids for the last few years. Uh, modern player development, it's a, it's a very, as I say, very complex area. I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, my work, how I see um, modern tennis today, what I see in the future, perhaps, my philosophy on player development. I'm going to speak uh, a little bit about uh, creating a good environment, which I think is very important. Uh, I'm going to mention, of course, my, my work with Stan a little bit, uh, what we have done, what he has done to, to be so successful the last few years. Uh, actually, he, he won three Grand Slams. Uh, we forgot the Australian Open also. So the last, the last three and a half years together, he won three Grand Slams, which is of course uh, amazing. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with uh, modern tennis today, what I think is uh, the, the big difference from perhaps when I was playing and the, last, the de development the last six to eight years. I think today, compared to, to ten years ago, uh, I think you see players with, uh, with no weaknesses anymore. Um, when I was playing back in the days, you, had, you could have one guy or one girl with a good serve and then not so good backhand maybe. Or, uh, yeah, uh, today you have even a good servers who played really good from the baseline. So the players today, they have no really weaknesses. They play something what I call a, a total tennis. You know, they, they cover the court a lot. The, the movement patterns also, the way that the, the players are moving around the court has changed a lot as well. It's so much better now compared to six to eight years ago. Uh, players are going from, from defense to offense many times during one rally. When I was playing uh, back 10 years ago, you had one guy always being the offensive guy and the other guy being the, the defensive guy. Today you have, you know, throughout one, one rally you have offensive tennis, defensive tennis. So the players are moving so much better. I think they play uh, closer to the baseline now compared to six to eight years ago. And this is something that I spoke also to, to Stan about a few weeks back. Uh, what he thinks is the, the biggest uh, sort of change throughout the last few years. And that's the fact that the players are playing closer to the baseline there. They are creating angles that we didn't do 10 years ago. You know, you, you have Andy Novak uh, for some, for when, when Roger is playing, he's also playing very close to the baseline, you know. Um, but in order to do that, you have to move really, really well. So the players today, they are moving well. I think many of the, of the top players, you know, the top, top three, top four, top five players, the really top players, they are playing with quite big margins, almost a little bit defensive, but they are playing with big targets, meaning quite high over the net, not so close to, to the lines. Uh, they are relying a lot on how they move on the court. You see the younger generation coming up, uh, they play more, they are more shot makers. So they don't have the same patience maybe as the top guys yet. I see a, I see a trend on, on this. I don't know where it's going to go, but that's what I see. The top guys today, they, they use uh, specialists in all areas of the game. Um, when I was playing, uh, my tennis coach was also my fitness coach, and he was my 
uh, doing some massage on my legs during the night. I have one guy who, who was handling everything for me. Today you see that the top guys that travel with big teams, you have one fitness coach, sometimes you have two tennis coaches, one covering maybe the baseline game or the defensive game, one covering maybe the offensive game, uh, nutritionist, uh, physiotherapist, you know, so big teams. The money is, is of course a lot bigger now than when I was playing, but they have specialists in all areas. And that's something that I think uh, we, can, we have to think about also. And also the last, Slide there, the, the, the body mass of the top players today has changed a lot, dramatically I would say. Uh, they are weighting uh, a little bit less, they are moving much better on the court. I'm, I'm, I'm quite a heavy guy, I'm a you know, tall guy and, and, and when I was growing up there was a lot of weight training. Uh, you created power from, from doing a lot of weights in the gym and running. You know, today you see, you see a guy like Novak and Andy, they, they almost have zero body fat on the body. They are very, very strong, but very slim, you know. So that's, that's the biggest change what I've seen and how I've seen modern tennis today. Talking about player development, uh, to the right of your screen is a guy called Michael Emer. Uh, he's, uh, he, I, I know this guy since he's uh, 10 years old. This is a picture taken when he won the European Championships in 2012. He was 14 years old at that time. He's the number one guy in Europe. So, and then today the average age to break into the top 100 is something like 24 years old. So looking at this guy, he has 10 years of, of time to make it to the top 100. Things, questions like what should he do in these 10 years? When should he do things, you know? Who should do it? Uh, where should he do it? How should he do it? You know, and also, what should he not do? What, what should he not do? What to avoid in these 10 years, you know? And this is what player development is all about, trying to maximize the potential to do the right things at the right time by the right people. Uh, let's see. All right. So what is needed to create great athletes? Uh, what is my, what do I believe it's, it's important? For me, it's about two things. It's about the talent, in, and in tennis, that's the player, and the environment. And that's, in tennis, is the coach, of course, it's us, and it's the training. It's about two things, if you make it a little bit simple. Talent, for me, is the player's ability to learn and the, de the de desire to practice. You're born with maybe a gift, you're born with gifted hands, but talent for me is the desire to go out there every day to practice hard and to do it well and to learn fast. Talents are hungry to learn even when the, it's not going so well. Uh, all the best players that I've been coaching, Robin, uh, Stan, Michael, uh, you know, an, an, another few, few players that are top juniors, they're hungry to learn, even, even when they're not playing so well on tough days. They have this inner drive, you know, that's for me is a talent. They ask a lot of questions, they bring input to the training. That's the best thing I know as a coach, to have a guy, a girl uh, coming to the practice and then you can ask questions like, uh, uh, yeah. I w today I want to practice on my forehand because this weekend I was playing a tournament and the forehand was not really great. Re please, Magnus, I want to work on the forehand. That's the best thing a coach can hear sometimes, you know. 
So they have an inner drive. They ask a lot of questions and they, they, they want to do things. They learn from mis mistakes and they learn in a positive way and they learn fast. Uh, playing a, a match over the weekend, coming back maybe on, on, on Monday morning, they, you know, they, they analyze and you know, they want to get better. Uh, they know the talents, they know the importance of the simple fundamental work. Um, they like the deep practice sessions where, where the players and the coach are locked in. I'm going to speak more about that as well, but they don't like to be disturbed when they're practicing. They, they, they are very focused. Uh, uh, the practice sessions are, are deep, something that I call deep practice sessions. Oops. I also, I also would like to think about uh, two things when I, when I construct my, my practice sessions, and that's two types of skills, I the hard skills and the soft skills. Uh, that's what I, what I sort of, uh, the hard skills is something that you practice very slowly, uh, you do a lot of repetition, you take one step at a time and you repeat it all over again. Uh, while soft skills is sudden changes, you know, you go from, from, from backhand to forehand and you play maybe on a smaller court closer to the baseline. For me, the most important thing when I think about player development and, 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 and uh, players from 14 years old, 15, 16, is the hard skills. The, the older you get, the more important the hard skills. The better you player you get, the more important the hard skills, you know. Looking at the session this morning, uh, 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 you know, mini, mini, mini maxi tennis, you know, the, the, all, all the, small, uh, the small kids, then you need a lot of equipment to make it fun. But the better the players are, the older they get, the better they are, the more important the hard skills, you know, and the simple, basic work. But simple doesn't, you have to work, I, I, I use the phrase, you have to work like a carpenter, but think like a gardener, you know, you have, even if you play cross court, you, you can do it so many different things. So it's so important, the, the hearts, hard, the, these things, you know. The best players, of course, they have, they have a combination of the hard skills and the soft skills. You look at a guy like, um, uh, like Stan Wawrinka, for example, he's a guy that, uh, that has a lot of hard skills. Uh, you look at a guy like Roger Federer, maybe, who has a great hands, and, and he, he, he's also great with the soft skills. But, of course, the best players, they have a combination of both the hard skills and the soft skills. So the talent is the desire to practice, the ability to learn, and to honor the hard skills. For me, that's the most important thing going into the environment, the coaching and the training, which is maybe for us a little bit more important. Uh, I think we have to understand that we are coaching human beings. Uh, these are three different kinds of players that I have been involved with, some more than others. Uh, Stan in the middle, uh, Grigor Dimitrov to the right, and, and Robin Södling to the left. Of course, if I, if I would have been coaching these three people exactly the same, it would not have worked. You know, they are different individuals. So every time I take on a new player, I first of all, you have to evaluate the player. What's the genetics? How is this guy playing? What's the mental character? What's, how is the social status, you know? The culture, the hobbies, uh, the friends, you know? Then, of course, what are the goals for this player? Is the goal to, be, to go to college in the States? Is the goal to, to be top 10 in the world, you know? 
This is something that sometimes we miss. Uh, and then you create a plan, what needs to be done in order for this girl or this boy, or this player to reach the goals, you know? And then you sort of create the plan. This is something that I do with the, the younger kids. I look at everything around the, the tennis. I look at the school. Is the school flexible enough so they can practice enough? Uh, how is the fitness training? You test the players, of course. How is the mental toughness? Do we have any problems there? Do we need to do something? How is the financial situation? That's something we really don't like to talk about, but it's also an important aspect of tennis. It's going to cost a lot of money to, to, to travel uh, to tennis tournaments, so that's a, also a big issue. How can we help the, the players there? Look at the parents, look at the, you know, the friends, everything around the tennis, um, social network, and then of course also you, you, you analyze the tennis. But sometimes we forgot about the first step, you know. You have to evaluate the player. Because if I'm, yeah, if I'm coaching all the time, every player the same, then it's not going to work. You cannot coach Ivo Karlovic the same way as you coach David Ferrer, for example. They are two different playing styles, two different characters. Yeah, so it's impossible. So that's the first step. My principles, a little bit as a coach, is, uh, as I say, I analyze the player, I, I plan the work, I make a plan, and I work the plan. Um, I think that structure around the player and discipline. If you have that environment when you have the practice sessions or you, you plan for a practice, I think it also rubs off of the player. I, I many times, I, uh, all the training sessions that I do, I write in my diary exactly what I want to do. Um, and I think that discipline as a coach also rubs off on the player. The player sees that the coach is well prepared, so I think it's very important. I base my training around aerobic work and, and hard skills, as I say. Um, sometimes I think, I think maybe uh, we forgot about the aerobic part in tennis. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an anaerobic sport, yes. Uh, there are, you know, you, you rely a lot on speed, but I think sometimes we forgot about the aerobic work also. So I base many times my, my practice around the aerobic work, the hard skills, the many repetitions. Um, I try to keep it as simple as possible, and all the best players that I have, they like the simple work, you know, the cross courts, the one cross, one long line, to do this, you know, until it's there all the time. Many times when, when for example, Stan is practicing with, with Novak, they practice a lot together because they are good friends, we, we almost laugh about it, because every time we do the same thing. We, we start to warm up, we, we warm up in the middle, then we do some cross, and then we do some, some static movement, movement things. And, yeah, and in the end, they like to play one cross, one long line. So, for example, Stan is playing only cross, and Novak is playing only long line. And we, do, we don't even need to say this. We, we say, like, okay, let's do the normal thing. Yeah, we do the normal thing. And then they do the normal thing for 15 minutes until they, they serve, and then they play some points. It's super, super simple. I like to build on the strength of the players, uh, because I think many times we, we only look at the, the things that we need to improve, but I think it's very important to, to build on the strength, and then you sort of expand from there. If you only start with the things you have to improve, it's going to be really tough, and yeah. I think modern tennis players, they need weapons, and they need good movement, I said that already. Um, and I believe also in giving the players space to try himself many times, you know, not all the time correct things, you know, you, when you're trying to, to change things, there is going to be mistakes and there is, you know, 
but you, you don't always have to, to be there, you know. Give the player try to, to space to, to tr try things, you know. And then I think training is important. Maybe you practice as a professional tennis player, you practice four to six hours a day, but I think also the, the rest of the, of the, of the hours uh, dur during the day is, is equally important or even more important, so that you live as a professional tennis player um, um, yeah, 24 hours. And also a big thing for me is how you build trust, and that's to be there for the player even more when it's not going so well. It could be that he's playing bad, she's playing bad, she lost all the confidence, she's going through a tough time maybe in the private life, you know. I think it's very important uh, for a coach to be there even more. That's how you build the trust and the good relationship with the player. If it's going well, if the player is confident, is winning matches, then my philosophy is more or less to take a step back, because then everything is great. But to take a step forward when things are not going so well. That's how you build the, the trust. That's the principles that I have as a coach. Uh, how, what does this mean in my daily work? For sure, I analyze the player, and analyzing the player, I don't analyze the player doing drills and stuff like this. I watch the player play points, because that's how you, how you really get to know the player. If you see a player play, play drills or playing only cross, you really don't get to know the player. So first of all, try to see him play points. That's how you analyze. I arrive well in time for my practice sessions. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very well prepared. I try to be focused from the first minute of the, of the training, because I really think it sets the standards. I see many coaches coming in with a maybe uh, 30 seconds or one minute or two minutes when they're already warming up with uh, yeah, a little bit stressed and, and they're not really well prepared. I, I try to do the, the opposite. I'm, I'm here a little bit before and I try to, from the first, from the first contact uh, of, of every session, I try to, to be here. If my player is there, I try to watch the first shot of the, of the practice because I really think that the first contact of the ball sets the standard of the practice. You know, if you can start to give input already from the first moment, I think it's, you sort of, you set the standard and it's going to be a good practice. If I'm not there, if I'm watching my, my phone for the first, I, I don't really like that. So that's my, my philosophy. I do very few drills and I do them until we are ready. I don't set the time. I, I, if I say we're going to work on the forum, we can do that for 90 minutes or we can do it for 20 minutes. I do, I do it until we're ready. Of course, working with younger players, you have to change the, the, the drills a little bit more often to make it more interesting, otherwise they, they, it will be boring for them. But, play, but practicing with 14, from 14 years old, I think you really need to adapt this, you know, to, to do a few drills and do it until you're really ready. <clears throat> I, like, I, like, I like to use targets as much as possible, also from the first minute of the practice, because I, th I really think that it locks in the players and they, they become really focused, so that's what I like to do as well. Again, simple things, but I, re I often think that we miss this. Uh, remind the players of the simple things, like early preparation, 
good foot position, good contact point, good follow through, you know. Easy things, but we sometimes forget about these things, and I do it from the first, first minute of the practice. It's very simple, but if you can do it over and over and over again, you repeat it until it's in the back of the head, you know. I always work on the strength, uh, and many times I ask questions like, you know, when tr especially when trying new things, you know, how, how, how does that feel for you? If I want to change the preparation to, to be a little bit more early or a little bit more up maybe, or change the foot posi position, because it might look fantastic for me, but it might feel weird for the player. So you always have to, to ask the player how does it feel, you know, when changing things. And the last one, I try to stay close to my player when it's not going so well. I think it's super important. <clears throat> All right. I define a good coach as someone who can meet the personality of different players. As I said, uh, Stan and, and Robin, for example, totally, totally different personalities, so I think that's super important. Someone who thinks long-term development and, and the process of the players before results, and that's something that I saw also Ivan Landel uh, saying the other day, that, you know, results, yes, it's important, but it's more important what's happening in court, that you have a plan, that you have, you know, that you're working on something because sometimes you get lost in winning or losing too much, you know, the process should be more important. A good coach for me is someone who is a good listener uh, and, is very, and is always speaking the truth to the player. That's something that can be really, really tough, you know. But that's one thing that made my collaboration with Stan Wawrinka the last four years uh, successful. That's, because the first day we met, he, he told me something. He told me, Magnus, whatever happens, even if it's good or bad, I want you to be, always be 100% honest with me. If I do something off the court, on the court, whatever it is, if you, tell me, if you, if you think that I'm not doing the right thing to, to become top 10 in the world, you have to be honest with me, even if, even if it's something I don't want to hear. So that's always super, super important. I think a good coach is some, someone that has the, has the ability to get the best out of every player on all the personalities. I'm very fortunate and very blessed to, to work with yeah, top 10 player in the world, you know, but even working with less ranked players or juniors or a good coach is someone that year after year you see the results with the players. They, you see them behaving well and that's for me is a really good coach. Good coach is someone who always has a purpose with the training sessions and is always well prepared. Someone who's always thinking about the player in the first hand and has no ego, what I call it. You know, you have to be very open. Um, I'm definitely not uh, best in all, all aspects of the game. I'm maybe good with something, but I'm not, for example, I don't think I'm, I'm not a great coach when it comes to, to volley, the technique in the volley. So that's why uh, we decided to bring in Richard Krajicek for Wimbledon last year. And I think you have to be open. You, 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 are not, you, you cannot be good in everything, you know. So that's also very important to not see you play like this and, and not be open. You have to help the player 
always think about the player in the first hand. And then again, I'm going to repeat this. Some, a good coach for me is someone who is there even more for the player when it's not going so well. Soon as the player is going well, you're going to have many people who want to be involved, want to say that they are involved. So it's perfect to take a step back for me. But when he's not doing so well, that's how you build the trust. Then you have to be there even more. Communication uh, for me was one of the toughest things when I went from, from playing to coaching. I was many times, um, I, I know that first of all, I know that there's a lot of coach, uh, ex-players who get into coaching. So that's why I, I want to mention it as well. One of the toughest things for me was that I was many times over communicating when I was starting coaching. Uh, I didn't really know. I was not selective enough. I didn't know when to say things and how to say things. And, you know, I didn't know what, what's important. So I think it's very important to get to know the players and, and to understand that some players want to receive information in different ways, you know. Some people, it's enough to just say what you want to do or to get the message across, you know. With some players, you know, they, they want to make you, they want to make you do the exercise so they, yeah, they can see it. Some players, they want to do themselves before they start to understand the exercise or whatever they have to do or what you're trying to work on. Yeah, and some players, they need to repeat it many times because they still don't get it. So they need to repeat, 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 you know. So I think it's uh, one thing uh, also to analyze your player, to 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 really get to know him or her uh, and how he, your player wants to receive information. I think it's something that, yeah, maybe we, we, don't, we don't think about it, but it's, it's very important. Michael Eimer, for example, the 14-year-old, he's super talented, he's super gifted, so it's enough for, for his coach, Johan, to tell him what he wants to do. While, for example, his brother, he has an older brother who's 100, he's 20, he's 140 in the world. For him, he needs to repeat it many times, you know, and, and he needs me to, to show the exercise and to show what I really mean, because it's not enough for him to, to just hear it. So that's very important. All right. Um, for me, talking about player development and, um, yeah, many times uh, when I speak to other coaches and other players, they, they want to know, what kind of drills do you do with your players? For me, it's not so much about the drill. It's about how you do things, you know. But, but still, uh, my, as I said, my training sessions, I always start with static drills. Static drills meaning not moving so much, standing on one spot and working a lot with the repetition, you know. So it could be starting in the middle of the court, um, yeah, working with targets, of course. Then moving maybe to cross court, playing cross court for 10, 15 minutes, maybe playing long line for 10, 15 minutes, and then starting with the movement patterns. So that's what I always do. I work with, start with the static exercises and then starting to move, but controlled movement, one cross, one long line, stuff like this. Simple, simple work. I don't, again, I don't do too many drills. I choose what's important for this player and I repeat those. I think it's important to explain why 
you do a specific deal, especially when working with younger players because they don't really understand. Uh, try to make it as similar to, to match situation as possible. Uh, don't just do drills that you saw someone do uh, on YouTube. You know, you have to put it in context a little bit. You know, you have to look at the plan, what's important for this for this player, and then then do the, those things. You know, do not forget about the right environment, uh, and I use targets as as often as possible for for the placement. I use, I use the basket, the big basket with balls. I use uh, the basket when I want to work on specific things like um, yeah, working technically on one thing or working on the endurance, you know. Sometimes uh, if, if I am in a really tough uh, periodization of, 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 of a tough tr training period, I can take the basket and we do like 40 to 80 balls, left to right, left to right. So I like to use, I, I, I use the basket quite a lot. But only when I work with specific things like that. Speed could be could do could be another thing. Um, not working with maybe 40 balls, but maybe six balls and then resting and then six again, but really really fast, you know. So it all depends on where in the year you are and where in the periodization you are. But again, it's not it's not so much about the drill. You have to put it in. You have to analyze the player. You have to make a plan what's important for this player to do, and then be well prepared for every practice and put it in, in the big picture, in the context, what's important for this, this player, and, and don't do too many drills. I, I remember when I started coaching and I started working with Robin, for example, six, seven years ago, I saw someone, uh, yeah, I was watching my, my practice session and, and I saw something, some comments afterwards that oh, this was was really simple. It was nothing. It's not going to work, you know, because it was was too, was very simple. You know, it was not not nothing. That for me is a great compliment. You know, if you can make it simple and still effective. The easy thing in this world is to is to really kill the player, like physically. I mean, physically to practice a lot, hard to make entire, but what if you could practice less but a little bit better? Uh, you, what you're looking for as a coach is to always find this sweet spot in, 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 in the, the training, depending on where in the, in the year you are. You gotta make a plan, you gotta make a periodization, you have to have a plan, okay, this Three weeks, we're going to practice really, really hard. So we're going to go to the to the to the red zone a little bit, but always try to find this optimal sweet spot that I call it, optimal training. Uh, sometimes now, for example, with uh, with my players, I I tend to do I tend to do one longer session. When I was when I was playing ten years ago, we were always practicing two hours in the morning lunch, two hours in the afternoon, and then do fitness training. So it was five, six hours a day, meaning, and, but with two sessions, meaning that we had to warm up two times, we had to shower two times, do recovery two times, you know, stretching. It was quite physically demanding. What, what I like to do now, a few days, is to do one longer session. Instead of five, hour, five hours with, with two different sessions, I, I do one long, long session, maybe four hours. 
So meaning he, he's warming up only one time and showering only one time, recovery only one time. So it's, it's a little bit more effective. And a matter of fact is that many times, best of five sets, you know, you have to stay out there for four or five hours. So I think it's good to, to, for the body to be adapted to that sort of uh, amount. But always, always when you construct the training, you, you know, you, you, have, you, you make a plan, but then you also have to ask the player, the human being in front of you, how are you feeling today? Maybe he was not sleeping so well, maybe he was fighting with his wife, maybe, you know, you, you always have to, to be flexible also when you do things, you know. Where in the periodization are we? Uh, what is the purpose of this session? Always ask yourself this. And if in effective training is always relevant to modern tennis. That's why I started with the modern tennis. You know, you always have to look for the, for the, for the weapons to move well. Uh, it always have to have a purpose. I see many times, even on the top 100 level, uh, players, coaches without really any plan. They do always the same thing. I, I don't see them work hard. I don't, I'd like, it's always the same, you know. So even on the top, top level, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I'm going to repeat myself. What is the goal of this player? Create a plan, effective work, evaluate the player, evaluate the work, and then start over again. You know, it's super simple, but many times we forgot about it. Never forget about the plan and the structure of the player. Yeah, continuous learning. That's also something that is important for us as coaches, you know. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, the, yeah, I was voted the best ATP Tour coach of the year, but I'm not the best coach, tennis coach. There is so many, I'm, I'm, I'm working with professional tennis players. They, they already know how to play tennis. I, I, I'm not teaching them for an backhand. I'm, I'm more like a generalist, you know. I try to learn many things in many different areas, and that's something that, uh, that's, that I think is important. And I learn about tennis, of course, I watch a lot of tennis. I learn about nutrition, I learn about health, I learn from other sports, strength training, endurance, psychology, biomechanics, you know. I know a little bit about all those things, but I'm not a specialist in any of those areas. I visit blogs of coaches, of athletes, health gurus, nutritionists, you know, you name it. I listen to podcasts when I'm, when I'm training myself or I'm in the car or I'm in the airplane. I, you know, always have something to learn, you know. This morning I learned, even though I didn't understand the language, I learned so many new things, you know. So there's always things to learn from, like, all levels. I read a lot of books. I watch a lot of tennis, even when Stan is not playing or my, my players are not playing, I watch a lot of tennis. Um, and I think it's uh, important to be open-minded, you know, link, uh, link the science to coach, coaching, because science is not coaching. Science, uh, science is very important. It starts with the science, but science is not coaching. Coaching is communication, the interaction between the player and, and the coach. That's coaching. So never, never stop learning. And I think as a coach also, in order to help other people, I think it's very important to, to stay healthy yourself because some players, you know, yeah, you want to show your exercises. They, they, you know, I think it's great to be able to play with your, with your, with, your, uh, with your kids and with your players, you know. 
I, I always, I always find, uh, use this quote, you know, when I'm, 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 I'm traveling quite a lot, I'm, I'm, I'm on airplanes quite a lot, and I always hear, I always hear this, this stewardess, the host, you know, in, in the airplane, she said, she's saying before the takeoff, she's saying, put, in case of emergency, put on your own mask before helping others. And that's also something that I think uh, we as coaches have to do also, in order to give energy all the time. Like the, I saw the coaches do this morning with the kids, you know, you give, you give, you give, you give, but you also have to, you also have to first of all, help yourself, you know. Disconnect once in a while, go out for a run, uh, yeah, because it's very tiring, S especially for, that's why I'm so, sort of, yeah, I get a lot of credit for the work with Stan. I get invited to this conference here, I get to speak in front of you guys, but the real people behind Stan that should get all the credit, it's the coaches that were working with Stan when, when he was younger. You know, all the, all the mornings, all the evenings, all the weekends, all the long hours before school, you know, they, they get nothing, they get no credit, and they, ma they made Stan Wawrinka. When I was started working with him four years ago, he was, all the fundamentals was already there. But I know how tiring that work is, you know. So it's important once in a while, disconnect, you know, and take care of yourself also as coaches. <clears throat> all right. That was a little bit uh, background. Now to, to create top performance uh, before a match. My philosophy just before a game. This was a lot about the training. Uh, I think it's, again, it's important to be a good listener. Every player is unique. What is the mood of the player today? You have to sort of, of a, on a match day, I like to sort of feel the individual a little bit, feel how is the mood today? Is, is he in a good mood, is he in a bad mood, did he sleep well, not good, you know, so. I like to go through the tactics well in time. I like to have a plan A and a plan B. Also, again, very simple, but many times I think we forget, forget about the things. <clears throat> a plan A could be, could be, you know, the sun is shining, uh, everything you, you, you said before the match is working, the guy you are playing has ex is playing exactly the way you intended him to play and you have light feet and you know everything is working really really well plan b could be the opposite you know you you, you get to the court your feet are heavy the the, the court is much faster than you expected the, the your opponent is not playing the way you wanted him to play he's playing totally the different uh, tactics that has saved me in my playing career many many times i remember one time playing in australian open in the, in the fourth round, and we, Australian Open is an outdoor tournament, right? But sometimes when it's raining, they close the roof. And I was not so good indoors. I, was, I liked better when it was outdoors and it was hot. So I was expecting a match to be played outside. But I also had a plan B. What if they close the roof? What if the other guy is playing not the way I intend to play? So I had a plan A and a plan B, and plan B happened. Like, all of a sudden, before the match, it started to rain. We came on court, it was really quick, you know, they had, it was indoors, it was really fast, and, 
And the other guy that I was playing, he was playing really quick. I thought he was going to play really defensive, but he was play, playing quick. But it was almost like I already played the match before. The, you know, in my bed, going to bed the day before, I already played the match, so I knew exactly how I was going to react to that uh, tactics. So I think it's uh, great to, to have a plan A and a plan B. I like to give maximum two to three uh, tactical things before a match, because I think if you give 10 things, I think it could be very complicated for the player. So, uh, yeah, I give two, three things. Uh, I divide it by how the player should play in his own service game, how my player should play in the returning games, and then maybe one or two general things about, you know, from the baseline or, or, or things to think about. And I try to take care about all the things around the player, especially when working with top players. There's a lot of things around the player. Booking, booking practice courts, uh, taking care of, uh, of uh, media. Yeah, there's one million things, but I try to, to take care of everything around so that the player can only focus on, on the match. I think it's, uh, it helps a lot. I try to make the player believe that he can do it. You win and you lose together as a team. More losing together when, he's, when the player is winning, it's important that he should get all the credit, but when you're losing, you know, uh, we, we, have a, we have a quite a big team around Stan. It's, a, it's an agent, it's a physiotherapist, it's a fitness coach, it's Stan, and you know, it's quite a big group. But if, if anything goes wrong, if he starts to lose, everybody's looking to me, so I'm responsible. But it's important for the team, it's important that we do this together, you know, so you win and you lose as a team. When Stan and I first met in, in four years ago, he had never been to the year-end championships. So we started working together in, in March that year, four years ago. Uh, and we, we sort of sat down in Geneva. We, we started looking at the schedule for the year. Um, he, he had just lost to, to Novak Djokovic in Australia in an amazing game. I don't know, maybe a few of you remember. He lost in five sets one of the best matches ever played. But he was, he was a little bit down, and, um, and yeah, we started working together. We sat down, we, we put the plan for the year. Okay, what tournaments are we gonna play? Where should I go? Where should we practice? You know, everything that I just talked about, you know, we, we, we made the plan. We set a few things that we should work on, but at the end of the year, of that year, I put, I put, um, put year-end championships, I put London on the schedule without without thinking too much about it. But then, then he made London that year. He made the, the top eight. Um, uh, and after, after the tournament, he said, Magnus, when, when, you, when we first met in Geneva um, seven months ago, and you made the schedule, you put down London at the end of, this, of, the, of the year. And that for me was, I, I never realized I could make London, but you did it, and I did it. I, I didn't do it intentionally. I really thought it was something that he could achieve. And that, he said to me, that made me realize that I could do it. At that, that moment, I started to, to work for that, you know. So it's important that you, you do it together and to make the player believe that he can do it. Another example this year is before the US Open final. Stan, again, has been very open about this, so that's why I can talk about it, otherwise I don't, but he's been very open about it, that he had a 
yeah, we had a sort of like a special moment before the final this year. Uh, both were very nervous. I was talking about how how proud I was for the work he had done the last few months uh, after Wimbledon leading up to the US Open. Every day putting in the effort, always giving 100%, you know, and, and how proud I was on, on the way he was conducting himself on and off the court. And of course he was super nervous, so we, like, yeah, it was a sensitive moment. He started to cry, I was sensitive, I started to cry. So there we are, like, literally 30 seconds before he's walking on court, hugging each other, we are both crying, but you know, I, I really felt that there was something that needed to be done. He was super tense, I was super tense, and we sort of, we let all the feelings go, and then, uh, and then he won the, the final. You know, and then, again, before the games, don't focus too much about the opponent. Focus on your strength, build on the strength, and, and work from there, especially when you are nervous. Think about more about your own game than, than your opponent. Yes, last one. <clears throat> I think, again, this is going to be a little bit re repetition again, but I think routines, a good structure, a good preparation makes confident players, make mentally strong players. Talk, don't be afraid to talk about the feelings that the player, because every player gets nervous, but don't be afraid to talk about the feelings he will probably feel in the match. You're going to go out there, you're going to perform in front of 22,000 people. The winner gets, I don't know how many, much money, but a lot of money, a lot of ranking points, you know. You're going to be super nervous, but, you know, mentally prepare him for the battles and the feelings that he will probably feel. I think that's an important part. And then, of course, the... the Talking about uh, different methods and, and, and you know the the, uh, the ultimate validation of a training method is what happening on the competitive arena. Talking about mentally strong players, um, I, I did a small uh, um, small sort of do and don'ts of mentally strong players. This again is very, very simple. This is maybe not a good picture on, of this text, but the best players in the world, the mentally strong players in the world, they control emotions, they control their thoughts. On this picture you have a very angry player who just broke the racket, with, which is not great, but sometimes it's also necessary to sort of, if you're nervous, if you don't playing well, if, you, if your mood is a little bit down and you, you, you know, sort of your shoulders go like this, then sometimes I encourage the player to do something, get angry at me or do something with whatever, just let it out, but don't go like this uh, for, you know, 30 minutes. Do something and then immediately go back to to return or serve and be 100% focused, you know. I see too many players today, they sort of wander around and they, you know. But the best players, they control the emotions and the thoughts. And that goes also when it's going well. Don't, if you win one set or one game, don't go crazy like this, you know. You have to con control your emotions because the match is going to be long. So even when it's, when it's not going so well or going great, you have to sort of control your emotions a little bit. 
the mentally strongest players, they don't feel sorry for themselves. Many other players, they complain, oh, I don't get this financial support, I don't get this, I don't get this. But the best players that make it, they, they never complain, they never feel sorry for themselves. If they don't get the financial support or they feel, they feel somewhat left behind, they do like this in the pocket and they work even harder. So that's something that I try to, 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 to put a lot of focus on back home at my academy. They do admit fear. Stan, before the US Open final, again, he was open about it. Uh, he said, I'm super nervous, but that's the start. That's how you can help the player to sort of talk about it and admit that, that I'm afraid of this. They do not waste time on things they cannot control. <clears throat> the sun, the wind, the noise at the US Open this year when the, for the first time when they had the roof was super, super noisy. Is that something that we can do something about at this moment? Probably not. It's going to be noisy. So we just have to accept it. Don't say one word about the noise on the center court because that's not something we can do. We cannot control it. It's impossible. And the best players, when they are really there, mentally fresh, they sort of, they know that I cannot change the location of the sun. I cannot change the wind. I cannot change the crazy spectators sitting there applauding all the time for the other guy or girl. It's impossible. I have to focus on my things that I can control. The, the best players, they never give up, even on a, on a bad day or after a tough loss. They push through. Even when it's not going so well, they push even harder and they believe in the team. They just, they just don't give up. Sorry. And they use visualization a lot. I spoke about the plan A and the plan B, the feelings you will probably feel, the tactics, you know, they, they, they use visualization a lot. Before the, before the French Open final um, last year, I sort of, I, I said to Stan, you have to picture yourself with holding the trophy at the end of the day. On Sunday evening, picture yourself with the trophy. Picture yourself, the headlines tomorrow in the papers, you know, sort of you have to see yourself as a champion. And I think mentally strong players, they, they use visualization quite a lot. All right. Again, what is needed to create great athletes, good tennis players? For me, it's about two things. It's about the talent, the player in tennis. It's about the environment, creating a good environment. And we as coaches create that good environment. The talent, desire to practice, the ability to learn and to learn fast. For me personally, I honor the hard skills, which is a lot of repetition all the time. With the younger kids, of course, uh, you need to change the, uh, the exercises a lot to not make it boring all the time. But from 14, 15 years old, you really have to practice hard. And you, you, I think you need to honor the, the hard skills. Remember that we are coaching human beings. It's impossible to coach all the players the same way. Everybody has different needs, 
different goals, try to create a plan and a structure around the player, uh, effective training, be there when the player is, is doing less good. That's how you build the trust. And, and uh, the, the players are, are smart. They, they know who is there when it's not going so well. And learn about all the aspects of the game, not only about forehand and backhand, learn about everything around performance, nutrition, health, endurance, strength, agility, and help yourself. Put on your own mask before helping others, because it's very tiring to give energy all the time to, uh, to other people. You, you need to get it back. I, I personally, I, I train a lot. I spend a lot of time outside in the nature because it gives me a lot of energy back. Um, that's how I sort of recharge. Um, yeah. Then, of course, it's uh, things that we cannot control. It's the, the financial things. It's the possibility, possibility to play a lot of tournaments. We need the, the best players from 14, 15, 16. They need to maybe travel abroad sometimes. You know, you need the possibility to sometimes bring your coach to get the input. So yeah, you need possibility to play a lot of tournaments. You, 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 need, you need to spend a lot of time on courts. So you need a lot of courts and you need good sparring partners. When you're 15, 16, 17, you, you get more sort of dependent on that. And then the last thing, Management and advice, that's something that uh, when, when the players get really, really good, top age uh, juniors maybe in Europe or in the world or you know, top 100 in the world, and they're starting to do well, there's a lot of people that's going to come to your player to give advice that you might not like. I've seen many examples of that. Management agents that comes in proposing things that I don't think is great for the long-term development. It might give them short-term sort of things to enjoy, but in the long-term, it's not going to make, uh, make them a, a great player. So that's something that we as coaches just have to be aware about, you know, when the players is starting to do well. Uh, I've seen too many bad um, examples of that. Too many bad examples of that. Okay, as I'm working with, uh, with Stan Wawrinka, uh, I thought I'd give you a few reflections on, 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 on a more like personal note of, of the work with him, because it might be interesting. Um, he, he watches a lot of tennis. He's very updated with rules, results, rankings, um, yeah. When there is a rule change, he, the next day he, he will know about it. He watches not only ATP Tour or WTA Tour tournaments, he watches like futures. He, he knows a lot about tennis. He knows all the results before I do. This is an asset that he has that no one else that I've, that I've coached has. He has the ability to sometimes step out of the world of tennis because when you're a professional athlete, tennis, you live in a sort of like a bubble. Uh, and he has sometimes the ability to step out of the bubble, looking, look, looking from the outside on himself, speaking with me from the outside, but about his tennis. It might, might sound a bit weird, but, but 
yeah, he has this ability, and that's some, sometimes I think it's the the reason why he he he, he won three Grand Slams because he he uh, yeah he has this ability to to not always be so much into the tennis. You know, sometimes he can disconnect and he steps out of the world of tennis, and you know we we can have a proper adult conversation about his tennis. Where are we now? Where should we go? How should we do it? You know, so. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great, great asset to have. Doesn't get nervous when playing big matches. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> this is something that he has also that, for example, I didn't have. He, he does not get stressed when he's resting from, from tennis. I wish when I was playing so many times because I got injured also, I was always super, super stressed when I was resting from training. He can rest three, four days, we, you know, before big tournament. He doesn't, like, he, he thinks it's quite nice. He, 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 yeah, he doesn't get stressed. You're not going to lose your, your strokes only because you rest one or two days from tennis. I wish I had this asset that he, that he had. But he doesn't get stressed. He, He's had not not only since I came into the picture, but he always have had a very structured periodization of the year, meaning only one time during the four years we have changed his schedule, and that was 2013 when he lost the first round of French Open. We asked for a wild card in Queens on, on grass just to, yeah, sort of get more matches on, on grass. But, but other than that, we have always made the plan in, at, in November, before the year, and no matter the results, it, it has always, we have always followed the plan. Of very, very good structure. And that not, that's not because of me. That's because of his fitness coach, Pierre Paganini, that he also shares with Roger Federer. But super, super professional periodization and structure of his whole year. He knows exactly when to practice, how hard to practice, when to be uh, off from tennis, when to, to, to practice only fitness, and when to do tennis. Super, super in detail planned all the time. He loves the simple drills. Many times before big tournaments, he, he comes to me and I, and I ask him, okay, Stan, how do you feel today? Do you feel like working on something special? Uh, the reply back to me many times is, Magnus, I want to do the simple things that we normally do, meaning the static control drills, the fundamental controlled movement drills, working on the shots. He's, uh, he's used to that routine that we have always before big tournaments. And that's, that's what he said. I, I want to do the simple things. Let's do the th simple things. You know? So he, he understands that that's the things, if he can do the simple things really good, he knows that it will win him matches. <clears throat> he's physically very strong. Uh, he's a diesel truck that can accelerate like a race car. He can go for five hours, only one time I've seen him tired physically, but he has the ability to, to go for a long time. You know, he's aerobically very, very strong. But he has the same issues when it comes to younger players. 
uh, and mental aspects. He gets nervous. It's the same. That, that's what makes my job so interesting because I work one, one day with the number four in the world and the next day I work at home with a guy who's 14 years old and it's exactly the same uh, questions or doubts or, you know, it's, it, these are also human beings. Gets nervous. The, the, the beckon, oh, I have such a bad beckon. Stan is telling me many times. And I'm like, what? You know? He has the best backhand in the game, but he doubts, I don't feel it, I cannot hit it, you know, cross-court. The same things, 